stay connected to your Heavenly Father in a, in a way that you feel that He sees you and that He definitely knows your pain and He will use your story for His glory and He redeems pain. And I think just being patient in knowing that the wait is difficult, but He's also a God who is ultimately patient Himself and, and He will see them through. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Would you mind leaving us a review today? By leaving a review and a rating, it helps other people find us, and it is a huge help. Using your favorite podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review today. Waiting with patience in the face of deep longing can be so difficult. What do we do in our longing? How can we lean into the Lord in hard times? Today's guest has experienced the depths of longing in her desire to grow her family. In her new book, Love Always Wins, one couple story of infertility, adoption, and a faithful God, Kara Duncan documents her struggle with infertility, the painful challenges, and the beauty of trusting God to form her family. Together, Kara and her husband, Dennis, experienced God's gracious plan for their family. I invite you to join me in this conversation as we discuss how to walk with God through the pain of infertility, where we will discuss how to fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply when there are physical limitations. We'll think about the ways God can work through our suffering to comfort and support others. And Kara will also help us think through what to say and what not to say to a couple who are working through infertility. We encourage you to listen and share this episode with people who may be struggling in similar ways. Today, I welcome Kara Duncan, a dear friend of one of our producers of our podcast and a new author. Kara has just released her first book, Love Always Wins, one couple's story of infertility, adoption, and a faithful God. Kara, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and I think the book title kind of gives it away what our topic is. But, um, you know, as we start, I do want to share that, you know, this is um, quite providential, uh, your book and the timing. You know, at Candid, we have a team of five people and uh, weekly we get together and we discuss uh, potential guests and we're sort of brainstorming topics based on what people are experiencing. And uh, infertility has been high on our list for quite a, a long time. Uh, three out of uh, the four women on our team have actually struggled with primary infertility. And so we know that this is a topic on people's hearts and their minds, but unfortunately we don't talk about it enough. And so we're so grateful for your book and for you taking the time uh, to speak with us today. Absolutely. I wonder if you would just Take a few minutes, as, as we often do with our guests, and sort of introduce yourself to us and then kind of give us maybe a, a high-level view of, of your story, of your infertility journey, uh, so that it can kind of help frame our conversation. Absolutely. So my name is Kara Duncan, married to my best friend, Dennis. We have an amazing daughter, Olivia, who's seven. 
Uh, we've been married for 15 years now, but a big piece of our story is we spent seven years going through infertility um, and really trying to form our family. And we didn't hear a lot of people during that season of their struggles. And mm. sometimes if we did, uh, what they said felt very passive and didn't seem to help us. So yeah. it was part of our passion to share our story, um, to let others know that they're not alone in their pain, and more importantly, to try to keep them tethered to their Heavenly Father. In your book, you sort of quote that, and this was even surprising to me, though I am aware of that it's a large issue, but one out of every five couples struggles with infertility. We know for people who have gone through it or whether we've gone through it ourselves, we know that it's a difficult issue to talk about what creates that difficulty, what makes it taboo almost. I think some people feel that it's a private pain that they need to absorb for themselves, that I think sometimes it's also a position that the enemy likes to take to corner us and have us feel as though we're perhaps the only people right now in this corner of the planet that can't get yeah. pregnant. Yeah. So I think we need to break the silence so that other people know that you're not alone. Other people either are struggling or have struggled to form their family. Mm. Um, and I think that gives us encouragement in our pain as well. Yeah. Take us a little bit through that journey, meeting your husband, and and then just sort of what that looked like for you. Because, you know, everyone's story is different, and they Mm -hmm. have different experiences and different uh, encounters. But just sort of walk us through what your journey looked like. Sure. So when we were dating, we talked about forming a family and what we wanted that to look like. And we both agreed we wanted one or two kids. And so we knew that that was on the docket, but we also wanted to give ourselves a chance just to be in a honeymoon phase, so to speak, and and have that first year just to form our marriage and kind of get into a pattern and rhythms. And so after that one-year mark hit, we were ready to get started and uh, begin forming our family. And month after month, it wasn't coming. And we then quickly approached that one-year marker that nobody wants to get to, Mm. um, where then you have to, in in some ways, raise your hand and tell the doctor, it's it's just not working. We need some assistance. Through your book, you share how you found comfort in Scripture. And, um, you know, I'm sure like all trials, you're pressing in hard initially, but then the difficulty just continues. You know, you talk about the one-year phase that's hard and and now you've got to go to a doctor and the doctor's sort of trying to help because I believe according to your story it's that even with the treatments and everything things still didn't sort of go the way that perhaps you had had right. hoped right absolutely so we started our journey um, with the doctor and they started with a bunch of tests for both mm-hmm. of us just to try to determine what was happening that might prevent a pregnancy. And through all the tests with myself and with my husband, they were coming up with inconclusive results. They couldn't find anything that was preventing a pregnancy. Mm. And I did find a lot of comfort in scripture. And I just found a lot of comfort in being able to be very raw and vulnerable with God in my prayer. It was the first time in my life where I really felt like I just needed to lay my heart out to him and be completely honest that I was heartbroken. I was disappointed. Um, And I couldn't understand why this was part of his plan. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet at that same time, holding to the truth that I was reading in scripture, that he is sovereign, he's still a very good God, and he will walk with me through this trial. Mm -hmm. And sometimes part of that just meant that I was to cry out to him and just let him know that this is painful right now in this moment. Mm -hmm. I still trust you for the future. I still trust that you'll bring us through. But I have to be honest right now, 
I, it was painful. And, and he always heard my prayers. And I always felt that sense of comfort that he did see my pain. Hmm. And then as we think about the relationship between partners, there's different emotions happening within each uh, husband and a wife. So how did you and Dennis navigate those things together and individually? I would say at the beginning of our journey of infertility, I think we were both trying to stay very masked with our emotions uh, mm. with each other because we knew it was painful for each other as individuals. Mm. And we didn't want to, in some ways, compound each other's pain by expressing how mm. we were really feeling. Um, but I can remember very clearly there was one morning where I logged onto social media and I saw yet another pregnancy announcement and yeah. I just started bawling my eyes out. And I needed his comfort. So I, I went to Dennis um, to share with him. I just saw another pregnancy announcement. I, I just cannot stand the fact that we can't start our family. Mm. And it was finally, I think, in that moment that we both realized we've got to allow ourselves to talk about this more openly. Um, and in mm. some ways, just find comfort in each other's pain, um, that it doesn't compound our pain. But being honest with each other just helps us know where each of us is at in this journey. Mm. Can we talk a little bit about sort of the ebbs and flows of that? So I think it sounds like it was about a seven-year journey for you all. Um, let's talk a little bit about the ebbs and flows through the medical procedures. And then it sounds like you all went through adoption phases as mm -hmm. well. So we, I want to bring that up in, uh, into the conversation as well. Sure, sure. Uh, it was a roller coaster, uh, to say the least. When we were going through the medical season, if you will, mm -hmm. it was a roller coaster every month. You'd kind of build up your hope and think that this might be the chance. This might be the time that a pregnancy occurs. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost as though the roller coaster takes a nosedive and you have to grieve the fact that this isn't the month. This isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then in some ways you have to stay seated and buckled up on the roller coaster to say, okay, but if you're going to try again, yeah, you've right got to get right back on it and yeah. be ready for the next treatment. So it was a mm -hmm. constant up and down every single month throughout that medical phase. Moving then into the adoption phase, it was a little more sporadic. Uh, there was, a, of course, a very heightened emotion once a case was presented to us to consider for adoption. Mm -hmm. And kind of that rise begins once more of this could be it. This could be our chance that we might become parents. And then you get the news that you weren't selected. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're dashed again. Uh, it's unpredictable with adoption how often you're presented with cases. And so in some ways, then you're just waiting to see when is going to be the next ride and hoping that it comes quickly so that you can hopefully be matched soon. Yeah. You've brought up the issue, of course, you know, in your study of scripture, God is sovereign. He's good through all these things. How do you balance out, you know, the thought process of, you know, God, you create families. This is your creation. This is your design for your people, and yet there's this withholding. How do you navigate that sure. in your mind? It took me quite a while to mm. be able to come to peace with that sentiment and that balance of, to your point, God, you are sovereign and you, mm. you can do anything. You could create a family. Mm. And to your point, even reading scripture, sometimes it really felt difficult because you come over scriptures of, let's say Mary, for instance, like an immaculate conception, right? You don't right. even need my husband, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, capable of much, capable of much more than we could ever even imagine. Mm. Um, but I finally, after a long period of time and looking through scripture, landed on the fact that in Isaiah, it's very clear that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my mm. ways are not your ways. Amen. 
And I had to really just, in some ways, humble myself to say, as much as I would like to control this, as much as I would like to think that it is the right time, as much as I think that I shouldn't have to wait any longer, I have to submit to the fact and surrender my plans and my wishes and my desires to what he sees. And he Mm. sees and knows much more than I can even see right now. Mm. Was there ever sort of this low point where like it just you felt that moment of surrender and understanding that through either the medical or the adoption or both Mm -hmm. uh, in your life. Very much so. I remember a point very clearly in our journey after we had gone through all of the medical treatments and after we had moved through adoption and had a field match, I reached a point of full surrender where I was actually on a trip um, and a vacation. I was on the beach. I had a journal and I just took time just me and God, some quiet time on the beach. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking out my journal and writing the word surrender in really big letters at the top. Mm-hmm. And then just pouring my heart out in my journal to God to say, I have tried everything I know to do. I have done everything that I feel like I can do to help in this process. Mm-hmm. And I've reached the point now that I just need you to fully take over. If we are to be parents, if we are to be matched for an adoption at this point, God, you're going to have to lead every single step. And as hard as that was, it was also very freeing to be able to finally then just in many ways, give God full access to the driver's seat and say, you do it from here on out. I will support. I will do what I'm called to do as part of this process, but I will let you lead it from here. And there's sort of a freedom in that. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. It gives peace to know that the the responsibility is no longer on my shoulders to try mm-hmm. to figure it out. Mm-hmm. My job at that point, I felt, was just to continue to pray, to continue yeah. to pour out my heart to Him, and just to trust that He knows my heart, He knows what we desire, and He'll take care of it in His timing and in His way. Do you find that concept bleeding over into other areas of life? I mean, this is obviously the intense a specific area that you're dealing with, but that concept really is, its uh, that's our whole lives, really, what he calls us to. Sure, sure. I would see it consistently, um, sometimes even as a reminder, um, mm. or God will kind of nudge my heart and his spirit will lead to say, this is an area that you're trying to control. <laughs> and I have to pry my fingers off once more and kind of put him back in the driver's seat where he should be. And just ask him, where do you want to lead me? What's my part in this journey so that I don't feel like I'm trying to white knuckle my way through something that he ultimately needs to lead and guide? Mm. You had mentioned that uh, along the process, along the way, people had said some things that maybe weren't as helpful. I wonder if you could kind of tell us about, by no means do you have to name names, uh, but what were some of the things that were said that were unhelpful and then help? us in understanding what are the things that were helpful or that you wish people had uh, come alongside and and encouraged you in? Sure, sure. That's a great question. I I could probably write a whole other book on that topic. (laughs) That's right. What not to say. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Because we've talked about that frequently in the support group that I help lead as well. Mm. Um, I would offer a few sentiments of statements that had come up in my journey that were very unhelpful. You get the um, comment frequently of, well, just relax, it'll happen, or just in God's timing, or just pray, almost as though I hadn't been praying or (laughs) believing for a miracle, or, well, this is how it worked for me, and sharing their story and going into detail about their story, almost as if 
as a way to pacify um, the pain that was being experienced. Um, So I I think what I would offer as sentiments that do help in terms of statements for others walking this road is validate their pain, see their heart through this process and be consistent in prayer and and just Mm -hmm. ask them, what can I be praying for you right now at this moment in your journey? Um, having people that we knew were consistently lifting us up in prayer to me really felt like we were being sustained and carried to our heavenly father in a way that really felt like love, care, and support Mm. versus passivity, or I don't want to talk about it too much. It's too painful. Mm. So being open to hear about the pain that someone's experiencing, what's Mm really breaking their heart at that particular moment and then asking in turn, how can you bring that to prayer? Mm. You and Dennis had gone through the adoption process and that had failed before you um, successfully adopted Olivia. I wonder if you could take us a little bit through, and I know we kind of used that as the point to get to what full surrender was, but, but how did that fail? You know, so you have a series of the failed medical intervention and now a failed adoption. How, at that point, how is that impacting you? I'll reflect back on that moment and then I'll share how it impacts me now. So that moment when our adoption match had first failed, that was the lowest of the journey. Um, Mm. We were in a hotel room at the time in a state that we don't belong to Um, I had unpacked everything for the baby and were prepared to go to the hospital and bring this baby home to the hospital hotel, if you will, Mm. uh, to care for the baby. And I can remember just being so shattered and heartbroken and thinking, I don't understand. I don't understand why God would lead us down this path for us to be in this position that we're in right now. And I can remember waking up in the middle of the night and once reality hit me of where I was and what was happening I just started sobbing um, Mm. uncontrollably and just pouring my heart out to God. And I can remember asking God in prayer, God, you feel so distant right now. I don't know why you would have led us to this point. Mm. And it was almost in that moment as if I could see God's heart and God's heart in that moment was grieving with us. And he knew in his sovereignty that that needed to be a moment that would happen in our story and our Mm. journey. But at the Mm. same time, it broke his heart too, that he Mm. cared that he loved and that he wanted to be near. Mm -hmm. And I think the sincerity of that moment and that opportunity to really see God's heart in the midst of heartbreak is something that I've always carried forward in other trials. Um, Trials will continue to come in our lives. We know that scripture is very clear with that, Mm -hmm. but having that opportunity to see God's heart, I think has sustained me that when other trials have come, I've always known that God does care, that he's close, that he's near, and that he's tenderhearted towards us when we do encounter trials. Mm. You know, I was just thinking, infertility is really, uh, it's quite a common theme, particularly in the Old Testament. Did you find that any of those narratives in particular ministered to you in a, in a certain way? Or was it really just sort of the broad theme of of what you just described, really, which is the heart of the Father, that He he cares for His children, He loves us, but as you said, He ultimately overrules in His sovereign plans. But were there any of those narratives that sort of spoke to you in a certain way? Or 
I found comfort to your point in all of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you can't even really get out of Genesis without it being a theme mm-hmm. that's right. really easy to pick up on. Mm-hmm. But I found the most comfort in Hannah's story. Mm-hmm. Um, just her ability to pour her heart out to yeah. God in prayer was such an example to me um, in many ways, because I, I felt like it was the first time in my life where I almost had to sit and question, is it okay to come to your heavenly father mm. and just be raw and vulnerable and honest yeah. with the pain and how you're really feeling yeah. and watching her example of pouring her heart out to God, I felt gave me permission to do the same. Mm. And just watching her story too, that after she had done that, she was able to stand up straight and her countenance was able to change because in some ways she had taken a burden that was so heavy on her heart and so near and dear to her and almost pass it off to her heavenly father. Mm. You could see that shift in her countenance. And I wanted that too. Mm. And so that was an example to me. I also really appreciated in Hannah's story that she got to a point of surrender as well, where she was willing to allow her firstborn son to grow up in the house of God. Right. Right. So in a culture and a season of motherhood where that wouldn't have been your option, especially if you hadn't been barren for so long, that she would be willing to do that was such a testament to me to say, okay, I need to follow the path of surrender. And I think being patient with myself as well Hmm. to be able to read that in scripture and understand it, but it allowing in some ways my heart and my actions to catch up mm. because surrender sounds great from a knowledge perspective, yeah. but sometimes it really does take time. Mm. And so I think being patient with that and continuing to bring that to God in prayer mm. and just being honest with him, you know, I am surrendering maybe a little bit more than I did yesterday, yeah. but I'm still not there. God, can you help my heart? Can mm. you help me get to this place of full surrender? Because she did, and I, I wanted to be there eventually. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the culture that we live in as it relates to birth, children, adoption. In writing your book, what are some of the things, the themes that you're picking up, the healthy emphases, unhealthy emphases that you're seeing in the culture around us? What are some of those things that you're picking up on? I found in my journey um, that as I was desiring to become a mom and and going through that, I really started to bring to the forefront of my conscious the fact that I was wrapping a lot of my value, worth, and identity in becoming a mom. Mm. And I do think that that carries into our culture as well. I do think that if women do desire to have uh, children and pregnancy, that it can become a part of somebody's identity. And that was a, a point where God, I felt, really had to pause and allow me finger by finger to kind of pull my hands off of the fact that whether I'm a mother or not Uh, does not impact my identity worth or value. Um, And that was hard because I I really, in some ways had unknowingly created a foundation of placing everything on this pillar of motherhood, if you will, and then having to shift that completely over to a foundation of, no, this is who God says I am. This is who God is. And because I am his daughter and a child of the king, I stand on this foundation of who I am. And then moving through the journey further into infertility and adoption almost created a a firmer foundation for me to come back to that if I wasn't to become a mother, I would still be okay. Mm. Adoption is beautiful 
It is painful. It's joyful. There's a lot of mixed emotions in there, and, and yet it's still sorrowful. Um, I've heard it called God's redemptive response to brokenness. Um, where have you seen God's hand most clearly in your adoption process? I would say in several areas. Mm. I think the one that stands out to me most is when we had our failed match and we went back into the process of adopting once more, we went into the process a little bit more protected Mm -hmm. um, than we had before. And and we asked to be matched with any adoption cases that they would consider, they called a stork drop in the industry. Mm. And that's where the birth mom makes her plans at the hospital and signs revocation paperwork. So in some ways there's no opportunity for failure with the match. Um, We knew by doing this that we'd have a longer wait and we were okay with that. But that particular season we had um, went to the movies and saw the movie war room. And it's a movie that highlights the topic of prayer. And I remember just praying even more fervently in that season that God, you know, we've waited so long, but this year by my birthday, if we could be matched with an adoption, that would be wonderful. And two days before my birthday, we got the call that, that Olivia had been born and we were matched and, and she was ready for, for placement. And so I think looking back, just seeing God's sovereignty through that process and being able to look back even further to identify and understand that at the moment that our first adoption match had failed was the same time that Olivia was conceived. Wow. And so it was Mm. almost as though God showing off in his sovereignty to say, I knew that part of your story, you'd have a failed match, but I had already put a plan in place Mm. for the redemptive work that I was about to do. Mm. And just his kindness to listen to my fervent prayers um, and to help lead us to a match that particular year before my birthday, I I felt was a a way of him honoring some of those prayers and and the pain that we had gone through. Mm. A lot of people who perhaps have gone through the failed medical treatments and and now they're beginning to consider adoption as an option. I wonder if you would have some advice for someone who's starting down that path. I would say there's a a wide variety of books that I would recommend that you read. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is the book, Dear Birth Mother. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a beautiful book of letters written by both adoptive mothers and birth mothers And it's a very eye-opening book to really start to understand the beautiful balance between an adoptive mother and a birth mother. Mm. I think it can be difficult when you're transferring from going through infertility treatments to then waiting to adopt because you're starting to then completely shift and realign that this is going to be nothing to do with you in terms of the birth, the pregnancy. There's a lot that you're releasing out of your own control and you're now welcoming, if you will, a birth mother, a birth father, a birth family into this circle, so to speak, of creating your family. So in addition to reading some wonderful books, I would encourage uh, to begin with prayer and begin praying for your birth mother. Because in my experience, the more that you begin to pray for her, the more that your heart starts to open up and understand wow, she's got her own journey that she's going through. She's got her own pain that she's experiencing. She has very real, deep, and valid reasons as to why she's choosing not to parent. Mm -hmm. And I think that creates a level of understanding and respect for her coming to this decision 
Um, but also the beauty of the redemption that, wow, we're taking two very broken stories yeah. of a woman who doesn't want to parent and a woman who so desperately wants to and creating this beautiful opportunity for this child to be very, very loved. Mm-hmm. You volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center, right? And so do you find that that was difficult after going through a season of infertility? I mean, I love the way you've, you, you, you know, it's the two broken pictures and you're, and there's a restoration there. But I mean, even in the, those early days of starting and volunteering, was that a, was that a challenge? It has had its moments of challenge, no doubt. Um, because you're, you're sitting knee to knee, if you will, with a woman who is in a completely opposite scenario. Completely opposite. She's, yeah. she's experiencing a pregnancy that for myself or anyone else in my situation, it would be a joy and an honor and a time of jubilee almost. Right. And she's experiencing regret and heartache and disappointment mm-hmm. and a rejection for where she's at in life. But I try to look at it through the lens that for myself personally, um, we have a closed adoption. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways I have a lot of what I would consider unspent love mm-hmm. for our birth mother and just her courage to be able to choose life in a culture that does not value unexpected pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, it's an honor to be able to hear from these women, them pouring their heart out to share their story of heartache and why this is really not an ideal time for them to be pregnant mm-hmm. and to lovingly and gently encourage them of options that they could consider that would choose life, mm-hmm. whether that be through that organizations earn where you learn program so that they can parent on their own successfully or to gently discuss adoption. And if I'm allowed and if it's appropriate to even perhaps share with that particular woman, our journey and our story so that she can maybe hear from an opposite perspective of there are couples that the line is so long, you can't see the end. Right. (laughs) Right? And so if this is not an ideal time, and something that you want at this time, you can literally go and pick the parents that you would want for your baby to, to be raised with. Mm. I want to come back to the book, Love Always Wins is the title, One Couple Story of Infertility, Adoption, and a Faithful God. I mean, obviously, this is your life story. This is your experience that God has brought you through. What's your hope for the book? Several hopes for the book and several prayers. Um one of which, of course, to bring God glory through sharing our story. But I also want to help break the silence mm. that many of us experience and begin to really talk very openly about the journey, what it really is like to walk through infertility, what it's like to wait to adopt. I think a lot of people think that adopting on its surface is very easy and almost like a nature of goodwill. But I want them to really understand there's a lot of complex emotions behind a lot of this. Um, So I want them to to be able to see that very fully and clearly. I want women to feel very validated in their pain, to know that it's not trite, um, that it it is very real. Um, But I also in turn want to keep them connected to their Heavenly Father, because I know it can be a very trying and difficult time for the faith. And as you had mentioned earlier, if we as a church don't talk about it, and if we don't put women in a position to understand that their Heavenly Father does care and wants to carry them through, it could be a pivotal moment in somebody's faith yeah. that they choose to walk away. Mm. And I, I don't want that for any woman. I, I want her, even if it's just her showing up and saying, somebody pray for me 
because I can't right now. I, I want her to feel like she has a community of other people um, that understand her story and to encourage her to to stay connected in some way, shape, or form through all of the trials that come with it. Well, I hope the same. Um, this is sort of a thread that we've kind of bounced around on, but it's often in the church where we do kind of hear some of those responses of, well, here's what we did, or um, you need to pray, or whatever. How do we better equip the church body to act as the body in this specific instance, apart from just ordering copies of your books? Sure. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll I'll share a couple ideas. Um, Our church does have several different cares group, and one of which is a care group specifically for women who are walking through infertility and loss. Mm. I think that creates a very safe space for women to walk into a room and, and know okay, these women, although their stories might be very different in some ways and varied, they get me. I don't have to put a guard up. I don't have to worry about them saying anything that would be passive or contrite. Um, I think that helps. I think when there's opportunity to bring it up at the pulpit, Mm -hmm. um, that's appropriate. I think the more that we can acknowledge the pain and encourage women to continue to pour their hearts out to God and to know that the church does see them and they want to support them is helpful. I think if the church can also help point women and couples to resources, whether that be counseling or therapy, um, because I know for us, uh, we had reached um, a couple points in our journey that that was very helpful and very effective. And I think that points to the fact that we all need help on this journey. And sometimes it can't happen from a pulpit. It needs to be a professional walking somebody through that. Mm. But the church can be a conduit to connect those dots. Mm, mm. Okay, let's say you're picturing yourself and Dennis in the middle of your infertility journey. You're sitting down, you know, you're you're on a podcast right now, you're speaking to the couple that's going through that. And our hope is that people who are listening to this who may be not dealing with it, that they would share this with their friends who are going through sure. this process. We'd love for them to get a copy of your book and but just to hear your heart, what would be your words to them? Sure. I would tell that couple a couple things. Um I have noticed that trials from a couple's perspective have a tendency either to pull us further together or further apart. Mm. So be very sensitive and aware of what angle you're on. And if you feel like it's beginning to pull you further apart, don't be passive about that. Seek and be intentional right now to find another couple close to you that can help guide you Mm. and support you and encourage you. Seek the professional help if that's needed. Um, because this isn't a moment that we want to see the marriage dissolve or um, grow cold by any stretch. So figure out what that looks like and be very intentional to put that in place now. I would also encourage that couple to continue to have fun and to schedule it if need be, because this season can become very daunting, Mm -hmm. very timed, very specific. And so if that's a a weekend trip that you can take or a date night that needs to be scheduled, whatever that looks like for the couple, but continue to be intentional to do that so that throughout a very difficult season, you can also look back and say, gosh, wasn't that a fun trip? Or didn't we really enjoy that experience that we had together? I would also encourage them to be very open about how each of them are feeling. Mm. And if there's a difference in those feelings that neither can understand once more, just continue to talk about it if you can to work through that and really try to see from their perspective what they're experiencing and why it's so hard. And if that's not working, if the two of you really can't work through and understand each other, 
once more, call in reinforcements if you need to have another couple that's walked this road. Um, take it to a counselor or therapist. But I think it's essential that you really understand where each other is at. But also just continue to dig into God's word and pray together. Encourage each other to know that you have each other. And that's a gift in and of itself to have each other to to work through uh, this journey. But to also stay connected to your Heavenly Father in a, in a way that you feel that he he sees you and that he definitely knows your pain and he will use your story for his glory mm-hmm. and he redeems pain. Mm-hmm. And I think just being patient and knowing that the wait is difficult, but he's also a God who is ultimately patient himself and, and he will see them through. Kara mm-hmm. Duncan, thank you so much for joining us on Candid Conversations. This has been, um, though it's a, a painful journey, it's been a joy to hear how God has brought you through and that he would use your book for his purposes. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Please order your copy of Love Always Wins by Kara Duncan, and you can find a link to the book in our show notes for today. Again, Kara, thank you so much. Thank you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.